Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Ready, let's hold them up. And let's read Facebook. If you're with me, come on. You know we like to do this. Don't be a couch potato. Lean in with me. Be part of us even though you're not here. Let's hold them up and let's read. Ready? Read. This is my Bible. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want us to start by looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, and I want us to read this together, all together. It's in the amplified version, so if you can read it, join in so we can all hear it together in the room and in our hearts. And this is a text that we started this series with like five weeks ago. But I want to go back to it and just pull something from it that will give us a springboard for today's message. Ephesians chapter 2, from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, he's writing to Christians and he's reminding them that at one point, You were on the outside looking in. Let's read it together. Ready? Read. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from any relationship with him, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, with no share in the sacred messianic promise, and without knowledge of God's agreements having no hope in his promise, and living in the world without God. Wow, that's a mouthful. And the point is, don't live as strangers to the covenant promises of God. Remember, the word covenant is in the Bible nearly 300 times. It means a contract, a treaty, a pledge. It's a very, very important Bible word. Uh, We would use the word contract in our modern day vernacular. This word strangers literally means without the knowledge of or without a share in. So he's saying, listen, at one time you were strangers without the knowledge of And without a share in. Did you know that it says in Hosea 4, 6, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And he was writing that in the context to the priests. He was a little put out with them. They weren't serving him correctly. And they weren't serving and loving the people correctly. And as a result of the priests not leaning in and receiving the knowledge that they should, they weren't able to pass it on to the people. And therefore, the people suffered a lack of knowledge. And when we don't know what the scriptures say, when we don't know the covenant promises that God has made available to us, when we don't know our right standing with the Lord, it can affect us in a negative way, even though God wants us to flourish 
in all of the promises of God. Can somebody say amen? Now, as followers of Christ in the family of God, God wants us to live with a deeper understanding and a deeper knowledge of his covenant promises available to you and I in the person of Jesus Christ. Let me say this. It is possible for God's people to go to church services, to give towards the ministry, to serve on a team, to be on their way to heaven, and yet live without any real confidence in the new covenant promises that we have in Jesus Christ and what that means and how those promises impact our everyday living. So we've taken time as a church over the last several weeks and we've talked about this idea of blood covenant and what it consists of. And we went through nine ceremonial commitments that we find in blood covenant. We don't have time to go through that. I want to encourage you, if you missed, go back, get the podcast, get one of these study guides. This is study guide number two, starting with today's message. But if you missed study guide number one, we have some back there in the foyer. We want for you to study and become more and more familiar with blood covenant. Now today... Our focus is on the fact that the spiritual covenant that we have with God, and we might call that salvation. Say salvation. salvation. Yeah, including all of its promises and all of its provision is not actually between us and God first. It's between God and Jesus first, making this new covenant that we have better and unbreakable. Come on, somebody say better and unbreakable. No matter how unfaithful you and I may be at times to God's covenant, Jesus is always faithful to God's covenant. I want to read something to you out of uh, 2 Timothy 2.13. Let it sink in. The Bible says in the New King James Version, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's a powerful verse. It brings encouragement to me. God can hold us even if and when we fail. True believers who struggle or who are faithless at times are still held by God. Can somebody say amen? He remains faithful even when his people at times are not. Why? He cannot deny himself. As a matter of fact, the scripture reveals that all throughout the Old Testament, when God's people were unfaithful, he kept going after them. He kept going after them. He was relentless going after them. Why? Because we are clothed in Christ and we cannot be separated from the everlasting love of our God. Can you say amen? Today's title is Our Covenant with God Through Christ. Our Covenant with God through Christ. I want to review a little bit. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, after God reminds Abram of his promise, in verse 8, it reveals to us that Abraham is actually questioning the integrity of God by asking, how do I know you will do this? How do I know you will keep your promise? Isn't that just like us? 
to ask God, how do I know you will keep your promise? And then we see in Genesis 15, 10, and 11, God responds, and he asks Abram to bring a bunch of animals. And you and I, that doesn't make sense. But Abram knew what God was wanting to do. He knew by, by, by no shadow of a doubt that God wanted to seal his promise in a blood covenant oath. And let's pick up in Genesis 15, 12 through 18. I'm going to read. It says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and, dark, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. I believe that he began to feel the gravity of the spiritual darkness that had filled the world. Verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain... That your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. God was prophetically letting Abram know that the people of God would be brought into Egyptian slavery. Verse 14. But. Thank God for that. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Somebody say amen to that right there. (laughs) Verse 17, for time's sake. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, catch this. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. There was pieces of animals that Abram slit and opened up. There was blood everywhere. This is what we call the pathway of blood. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant. Say covenant. The Lord made a covenant. That's a pledge. It's a treaty. It's an agreement with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this Land. Now, before we move on, I want to I make sure you understand it's important that we understand at least two types of covenant. The first type is called a parity covenant. That's in your notebook. A parity covenant is a binding agreement between two equal parties, like two kings or two presidents, two tribe leaders, two individuals, like in marriage. It's a parity covenant. The second type of covenant is called a suzerainty covenant. Now, this is different. It's a unilateral, one-directional, one-directional, autonomous, independent agreement that is offered by a ruler to his subjects. Two different types of covenant. And in this type of covenant, there are no two-party negotiations. The ruler sets the terms, and then he invites his subjects to accept or reject his offer. Now, I found that some scholars see the New Testament version of the suzerainty covenant is like a promissory covenant. God in his grace has made a covenant with man in his sin, and this covenant becomes God's self-imposed obligation for the deliverance of sinners. And it's been defined as a sovereign administration of grace and promise. In other words, God, in his righteous sovereignty, he sets the conditions, guaranteeing to bring us into holiness, to bring us into protection, to bring us into provision through his divine grace 
and love. Somebody say grace and love. He sets this all up. We, in our sinful state, we choose to receive his offer or not by humbly responding in repentance, faith, obedience, and love. Now, the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch. I may have touched on it briefly before, but I just want to clarify. There there are two train of thoughts. While interpretations of these two objects vary, all scholars agree that they are theophanies. Theophanies. It's a temporary, visible manifestation of God from the word theos for God. So God shows up. As a matter of fact, God often shows up in fire or smoke in the Bible. Exodus 3.2, he shows up as a burning bush. In Exodus 13.21, he shows up as a pillar of fire in the desert. In Exodus 19.18, God's presence on Mount Sinai is described as fire and smoke. In Ezekiel 127 and 8.2, God is a fire from the waist down. So that's the first part I want you to know. The second thing, more specifically, the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch represents Jesus as both God and mankind's representative in this suzerainty covenant. Now, if you're with us or you've looked at the book, you might remember that in our earlier lessons, we learned that the most defining part of a blood covenant happens when both covenant representatives walk through the pathway of blood. Do you remember we covered that? And they're declaring life and death consequences for anyone who violates or steps out of the covenant agreement. And here, we see that while Abraham slept, Yeshua, Jesus, in a pre-incarnate state, he passed through the trail of blood, both sealing the Abrahamic covenant and taking on himself the curse of death if the terms of the Abrahamic covenant were broken. Now, a quick light read through the Old Testament shows that Abraham's descendants, Israel, did in fact violate the Abrahamic covenant. Time and time again, they broke it. And although God used multiple pagan nations like the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans to quarantine their disobedience and bring some correction to them, the Old Testament sacrificial system, he used that to provisionally cover their sin and temporarily cover their sin and their punishments because that temporary covering could never satisfy completely the covenantal requirement of death when covenant was broken. Does that make sense? Somebody say, yeah, that makes sense? That's why only Jesus, the sinless man representative, through the shedding of his own blood, could repair the breach created by mankind's sinful actions, including the violation of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, this is a deep topic, and there's a lot of rich material in here. And I want to show you something on the video that I found that will take the subject of covenants and condense it down into a five-minute, really cool teaching. It's fun. You got to lean in and you got to pay really, really close attention because he's going to talk about the Old Testament covenants of promise that a lot of people were strangers of 
Because in those covenants of promise, God was setting things up that would ultimately point us to the new and the better covenant. I'm going to pull myself aside and we're going to watch the video. And then when it's done, we're going to come up and we're going to finish this message off really, really strong. Let's play the video nice and loud. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil. But despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. 
Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods. They allow horrible injustice. And so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham. And so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed. Amen. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. Hey, this is Tim. And this is John. We think one of the best ways to understand the Bible is to take its core themes and trace them all the way from That's the beginning good. through to the end. We also... Did you guys enjoy that? Wasn't that really cool? That really helped to, to bring things to light for me when I saw this. And we can see from the very beginning of time, before we were even born, God was working on this covenant idea so that we would be back in relationship with him. And the thing that I really wanted to emphasize and point out is the new and better covenant isn't with us directly first. It's with God and Jesus first. Amen. And so regardless of the fact that at times you and I mess up, come on, does anybody mess up besides me? Regardless of the fact that sometimes you and I are unfaithful, anybody else unfaithful besides me to God, right? We mess up, but Jesus never messes up. And I want to show you three words. I want us to look at each word a little closer. I want to look at the word purchased. I want to look at the word sealed. And I want to look at the word sustains. Because Jesus actually purchased our covenant relationship with God. Jesus sealed our covenant relationship with God. And the really, really good news is that Jesus sustains our covenant relationship with God. Number one, the first truth. Christ purchased our new covenant with God with his blood. Come on, say it with me, church. Come on. Christ purchased our new covenant with God with his blood. Let's look at the book of Galatians chapter 3. There's some powerful, powerful verses there. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice, becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is so powerful. The word redeem literally means he bought us back from slavery. He bought us back from being under bondage and being enslaved to the kingdom of darkness and to the devil. He purchased us back. Notice it says, 
from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He didn't just take the curse on him. He became, I don't even know how, he became the curse for us. Curse, sickness, disease, uh, disconnection from God, poverty, everything bad, the curse, separated from God, living a life without God, living a life with no hope, living a life as strangers to the covenants that we have available. Jesus paid so that we can be brought back into the family. He took the curse of the law of disobedience to God's ways, of being unfaithful to God, of being in sin before God. He took all of that, became a curse by hanging on a tree or the cross for you and I. He purchased that for us. Cost him everything. Cost him everything. Look at Ephesians 1.7. It might not be on the screen, but I want to share it with you. Ephesians 1.7 says this. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his, come on, say it with me, blood. Blood. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Notice it says that we have redemption through his blood. He cut this blood covenant, and there was this divine pathway of blood between heaven and hell on the life of Jesus, and through that blood that he shed, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We've been bought back, and now we could be in the family of God. That's really, really good news. Why would Jesus do that? Why would God send his son to do that? I don't know if you've picked up this book yet. But I highly recommend it. The title of the book is God Swears to Keep His Promises. Powerful book. I'm in chapter 6. I've got one left in the house if anybody wants it. I don't remember how much we sold it for. 13 bucks, something like that, for a suggested donation. We're just trying to sell them what we bought them for. Pastor Gill's brother wrote this book. Powerful, powerful teaching on blood covenant. Let me just read a portion to you. It says, why did God save us? What could incentivize the creator and owner of the universe to want to send his own son to a cruel death to save sinners like us? What influence could compel him to make such a sacrifice and for human beings, many of whom deny his existence? And what force could cause Jesus to disregard his own life and status in heaven and to leap to our rescue, throwing himself on a Roman cross? You see, God did not lunge to your rescue because you were in good favor with him. He did not jump to your defense in response to your obedience. Rather, before you could choose to show any appreciation, he chose you. With no guarantee that you would accept it. He purchased your salvation. And he didn't stop there. He proceeded to make many promises to bless you. And then he cut a blood covenant to convince you that he loves you with all his heart. And still now, every moment, hour after hour and day after day, there is something inside of him that yearns for you. He continually looks for ways to bless you, to love you, to forgive you, to restore you, and to prove to you that he is your God and that he will keep the oath that he swore to you. 
Why? Because the Lord our God is full of chesed, H-E-S-E-D, Hebrew Old Testament word. You got to check it out. Charis, agape, covenant love for you. He is so abundant in his love that the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Bottom line. God will not only keep his covenant promises to you because he swore a blood covenant oath, he will also keep his promises to you because he has an overwhelming and driving force in his heart that compels him to lavish you with kindness, goodness, mercy, grace, loyalty, faithfulness, and unfailing love. God loves you. Can you say amen? This is something that God did for you. He purchased you. He purchased me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.12 says, He, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for you and for me. So the first thing I want you to know, that Christ purchased your covenant relationship with God. Number two, next, Christ sealed our new covenant with God with his resurrected life. Come on, say that with me, church. Christ sealed our new covenant with God with his resurrected life. Galatians 3.14 says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Did you know that he sent the Holy Spirit when he resurrected and he ascended to the right hand of the Father? The Father and the Lord Jesus sent the promised Holy Spirit. The blessing of Abraham is the Spirit of God. Part of the blessing of Abraham is the Spirit of God in and on our lives, sealing this covenant relationship that we have with God. Ephesians 1.13 says this, In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, listen, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This word sealed is a powerful word. It means to hide or to keep secure from Satan. It means to hide and to keep secure from the kingdom of darkness. It means to hide and to protect you in the covenant relationship with God by the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Jesus sealed your relationship, your covenant relationship with God by sending the powerful, almighty friend above every friend, the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know him? Are you opening your life to the Holy Spirit? You know, it's important that I ask myself that question. A lot of times we can go throughout our day busy, 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 and we've got that Holy Spirit living right on the inside of us, and we forget 
We forget to ask him for his advice. We forget to ask him the way he would speak to someone, maybe our spouse, maybe our coworker. We forget to ask him where we might have forgotten something. Have you ever lost your keys? Right? Billy says no. <laughs> How many of you ever lost your keys and you were so just desperate and you realized you couldn't find them and you finally remembered? Holy Spirit, you know where I put those keys. And when you acknowledge him, he's like giving this open invitation because he's a gentleman. He won't just push his way into you. And many, many times when I've done that, he's brought something to my memory and that's exactly where the keys were. And I went and I found him. The Holy Spirit is a person, not just a force. He has emotions. He thinks. He has a mind. He has a personality. He's grieved, he's pleased, and he lives in you. Your covenant relationship with God through Jesus has been sealed by Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to partner with you in your relationship with God. So powerful. While Jesus' death forever purchased eternal redemption for mankind, listen, his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the Father sealed a new and everlasting covenant with God. Powerful. Number three, Christ sustains our new covenant with God as our mediator. Come on, say it with me, church. Christ sustains our new covenant relationship with God as our mediator. Mediator. Galatians. We're still in Galatians chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16, listen to this. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls or changes it or adds to it once it has been ratified. So he's trying to help us to understand in human terms. Once you make a contract and it's signed and it's sealed and delivered, so to speak, you don't go back and just start changing everything. Oh, instead of a 30-year mortgage, I'd rather have 15. I'm going to only pay 15. You, you can't do that. You agreed to the 30-year. Everybody signed off on it. That's it, right? So he's saying, just in human terms, you know that you can't change and modify, add, delete a contract once it's done already. Verse 16. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, it does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one. If you have a Bible, and you've opened to this text, Galatians 3, 15 and 16, when it says referring to one, I would circle that word one, underline that word one, or highlight that word one. It's very important. And to your offspring, singular who is Christ. The one is referring to Christ. When God was promising Abraham, listen, he was promising Christ. You see, God's covenant is with Christ first. Then through Christ, we become partners in Christ with God. Can you say amen? We saw some of that partnership aspect of covenant and I think that's important because a lot of times we forget that we're in a covenant with God. We're in partnership with God. And he wants that covenant to impact my life so that in turn, 
I'm bringing it to impact other people's life because I'm in partnership. I'm in covenant partnership with God. Christ sustains our new covenant with God as our mediator. Hebrews 9.15. Have you ever looked at the word mediator? It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So as a mediator, this person, Jesus, he works to influence a disagreement between two parties that need to resolve this disagreement. Jesus Christ is the one and only mediator between a holy God and a sinful mankind. That's why you and I need him as our savior. Here's the disagreement. Well, on one hand, God loves his creation. He hates sin because it violates his holy standard, introducing corruption to the life that he provides. On the other hand, we're all born into sin, and even after being declared righteous before God through the finished work of Christ, we're still in the process of being perfected from our everyday weaknesses or our everyday sins. This is why we need to have a divine mediator that sustains our covenant with God. See, when you and I sin, we mess up. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you and I sin and we recognize that and we bring that to the Lord, he sees Christ and the blood covenant that he shed for us as our mediator. He's like a really, really good defense attorney in a court of law, and when the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, accuses you and I and tries to bring condemnation on us for the sin that we made, Jesus stands up as our mediator, as our defense attorney, and he says, Father, it's under the blood. Father, it's been paid for. Father, that's a covenant representative. Father, I don't see any sin in him no more. In Jesus' name, amen. It's important that we understand that. Why? Because the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, he's going to do everything he can to bring condemnation and to make you feel low, to make you feel bad, to make you feel guilty. And when we begin to think on that stuff, it affects how we feel in our hearts and it affects how we communicate. It affects how we interact with our family, with our kids, with other church members. Condemnation weighs you down. And you need to know that Jesus Christ has purchased your covenant relationship with God. You need to know that he's sealed forever your covenant relationship with God by the person of the Holy Spirit, and he forever sustains as your mediator your covenant relationship with God. Amen. Have you been blessed by the word today? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.